Well, it's always good to see everybody here. Uh, been a while um, since I've been able to be here. Of course, so yeah, we were here a couple weeks ago. don't remember exactly when it was, but uh, always time seems to go a lot faster these days, And uh, but glad to be here. Um, if you are able to, just turn in your uh, Bibles to John chapter 4, and that's where we're going to spend a majority of our time, uh, the little time that I'll try to stand before you this morning and make sure I don't take too much time. Uh, but the, uh, a lot of times I'll get, I'll get questions that I know uh, from different ones and I'm sure y'all are all very curious as well. And, you know, sometimes it's very hard for us to sit down at home with our Bibles and actually pick it up and begin reading it and to get context and to get understanding and really understand because it feels like a lot of times as you're reading your Bible, you're jumping from event to event and sometimes you can get lost in context and, uh, I, you know, a couple, couple, probably about, I guess now it's been about a month, you know, Elder Sonny Piles passed away, and I can still remember a lot of the many wonderful sayings that I've kept in my heart, kept in my mind as I've tried to study the Bible, and speaking about context and how important it is to keep context uh, into consideration when you're studying any scripture, and so some of the things that I've been trying to do in my study lately is to make sure that I'm grabbing the context and grabbing uh, making sure when I begin reading my, the Bible that I actually read all the way till the end of the thought. And usually that has to do a lot of times when Jesus goes from one place to another place. Uh, and that's a very easy thing for you to p- uh, point out in your mind when he leaves the city and goes into another city. But sometimes in, in this particular John chapter 4, I've heard many sermons about, well, it's, you know, we'll worship, you know, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Or there needs to be laborers that are brought into the harvest. Or we'll hear sermons about uh, this well of water that is springing up within us. Well, there's this whole big context and storyline here that I think we can miss if we don't read it in the context. And I want to make sure that we try to do that this morning. And I hope the Lord bless me to be able to present this to you. If we start in John chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his own son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So this is about noontime to us. The sixth hour would be noon to us. So it's about lunchtime, and he's about to send his disciples to go get some meat. And there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus, Jesus said, saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, you've got to imagine, this woman is from Samaria. She, by the Jews, she was considered a Gentile. Though the Samaritans were actually descendants of a northern Israeli tribe, and the Jews really just didn't want to have any fellowship with them, even though they were somewhat kinfolks, the Jews despised the Samaritans. So then you have the Samaritan woman who's looking at Jesus and saying, well, you're a Jew, and you're, why are you fellowshipping with me? Why are you talking with me? And Jesus answered her and said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee... <clears throat> Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And, you know, it's it's sometimes, I'm going to pause here because I think there's something greater here that I want to bring out of this. Sometimes, I don't want to say we make a mockery out of it, but sometimes we need to know who we are actually going to prayer to asking things for. 
Brother Brett was mentioned this morning that they need prayer, that they need guidance, they need wisdom in the decisions that are coming up. If we only knew sometimes who we have access to to talk to yeah. and who can help us with all our problems and, all, and give us peace and calm and understanding and comfort, if we just knew who we were talking to, and this woman here comes to Jesus and he says, if you just knew who was talking to you, you would ask him to give you this living water. And I want to say this living water, I could... You can say it's, go back over to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If we only knew the access to this living water that we as born again children of God have, that is something that can nourish us when we are deep in despair and down and out, and we may not understand where or why, uh, what we are in need of, but the Lord can grant us whatever we need at that time, whatever comfort it may be, a living water that nourishes us, because Jesus saith unto her a couple more things. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? She's in her natural state of mind. We've got to get out of our natural state of mind sometimes when we're talking with Jesus Christ. We've got to get away from all of that. When we, when we sit here and center our mind that there is a spiritual kingdom, it's not a natural kingdom. Jesus even said that we were talking about this last night. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But this is a spiritual kingdom that is here on this earth left for us to have access to. Romans uh, chapter 5 would record for us that therefore being justified by faith, we have now access and through our faith in Jesus Christ into this grace and into this hope of glory that we have in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you here, we got to get out of the natural mindset. We got to get out of this because again, this whole thing you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of natural things. The disciples, a lot of times, even in the followings and the dealings with Jesus and the healings and all the spiritual miracles that Jesus did along the way, they were still looking for the natural blessing and not the spiritual blessing. So Jesus, she sees, she's like, "Whence has the uh, way to draw? Uh, uh, how how do you, how do you have this living water, Jesus?" Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And I'll tell you, if we're looking for natural substance, I know it's Thanksgiving time, Christmas time, and we all love our ham and we love our turkey and all the natural food that we get. But you know what? I get hungry a little bit later in the day. And I get hungry tomorrow, and I get thirsty tomorrow, and I thirst again, and I get hungry again. And he sits there and says there, Whosoever drinketh of this, of this water, of this well, is going to thirst again. But I'll tell you, Jesus can offer you and give you something that will, that will nourish you in a way that you'll not need, have need of anything else. We always look for the natural way to, to cure things. We, look, we, we always look for the natural ways to sustain ourselves. We look for monetary things, natural things. Yep. We're looking for the next dollar. We're looking for the next natural. Again, I have to use this word natural thing. But sometimes when I'm down and out and I'm in despair and I've got, I'm upset and I don't know where to turn, the only comfort I got is to be able to bow my head. And actually, you may have, some of y'all may have said, uh, saw this the other day. I posted on Facebook. Sometimes you just need a little talk with Jesus. Sometimes just to bow your head for a moment and talk to Him. A peace that passes all understanding can come upon you. 
But whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be to him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It is a fellowship. To me, what I think this is almost to be is that if you will have access, John 15 really talks about this. He's saying, if you will come and abide with me and I in you, you will be able to bear much fruit. You'll be able to have this nourishment, this sustaining thing to where I will not only purge you, but you will continue to produce and to produce and to produce more and more. And it shall be something that is comforting to you. And it will be a fellowship with Jesus Christ that will be comforting as if you were in the very presence of Jesus Christ right now, as we will be one day with him in glory. The woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her now, this is where things kind of get, the story kind of changes a little bit, but I want you to follow the context. This is what we're here, we're talking about context today. Jesus doesn't ask questions that he doesn't already know the answers to. Jesus doesn't give commandments and tell you to do something without already knowing the outcome. Jesus says to her, go now and get thy husband and come hither. And the the woman answered and said unto him, I have no husband. And Jesus saith unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, but he whom thou hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. And the woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus is about to reveal something to him. I don't want you to get caught up in the idea about the husbands and all this. I don't want you to get sidetracked on that. Jesus is about to reveal this living water. He's about to really manifest who he is to this woman. And he does so in a very unique way. He's about to tell her something that... It'd be like you going out and finding a stranger on the street and all of a sudden that stranger tells you everything about your life that how in the world did this person know all of this about me? And as a Samaritan woman, she's about to challenge him on his Jewish uh, heritage. I'll say it that way. I'm a woman of Samaria. And she says, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and ye say, Jesus, as a Jew, that we ought to be worshiping in Jerusalem. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's about to give her an example of really one reason why he's talking to her to begin with. One, she's a child of God. It didn't matter if she was Jew or Gentile. She was a child of God. And that's exactly why he's about to manifest himself to her right here. And he says, it's going to happen where it's not about this mountain anymore. Friends, we're all Gentiles. And I'll tell you, we are just as this woman of Samaria. That, that we, we are no longer worshiping in the mountain of, her, of the fathers of, of Jacob. And we're not over there worshiping in Jerusalem today. We're here in Jasper, Alabama as Gentile sinners that are worshiping a God. And we're hoping, I hope we're doing it exactly the manner that Jesus commands us to do it here. He says, ye worship, you know not what. Well, let me grab that verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. She's saying, he's saying to her that ye don't know what you worship. Because again, they consider it, again, I think Jesus really addresses her in really her Gentile state as a woman of Samaria. Ye worship, you know not what. 
we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Kind of reminds me of the context of uh, several scriptures that you read over in Romans chapter, I believe it's 6. And I'm going to go grab it real quick. When, he, when Paul is making the case against the, uh, for, the, for the Roman church, he actually says, um, if I can find it, Lord help me if I can. Uh, well, it's in, it's in Romans chapter 3 and I can't see it. Oh, here we go. Verse 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit then is there of the circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Je- Jesus is even telling the woman of Samaria here in, in John chapter 4, verse 22, we know what we worship because the oracles were given unto the Jews. He says, but there's going to be this time, but the hour cometh, and now is. He's actually just saying, now the time I have come to establish something that is very important. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came for one, for well, two purposes. One, he established the church. And two, to save sinners. And I'm telling you, he accomplished both. And we'll, and we'll get to some of that in the context. And I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm just going to have to go very quick. So y'all follow me. He says, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. We are living in the same, in the same case today. For the time, for the, for the hour cometh, and now is when true worshipers we are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And I believe in spirit, as we were talking some last night. You got to get out of your natural state of mind to come into the worship house. We've got to be in coming here in spirit and wanting to worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit with a humbleness sense as Jesus said that we ought to come to Him as little children wanting to be in the Spirit of God, wanting to humbly submit ourselves unto Him and worship Him for the very truth that what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came into this world no matter how wicked, we talked about this in the prayer start of the prayer service, no matter how wicked the world continues to go. We're still here in truth because he came to save sinners. We're still here in the truth. We're still here in the spirit. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And I think this is beautiful, but he says, I that speak unto thee am he. But the story doesn't end there. That's the best part about the fact that the story doesn't end there. You and I, at some point in our life, has probably had some sort of interaction, some sort of feeling that we have been born again. At some point in time, you in your life understand that the love of God is in your heart. And that you love him and you want to submit yourself to him by maybe starting out by being baptized into his church and into the service of God. Maybe that's where you want to start. But at some point in time in your life, you know that God has, has, has worked in you a very special thing. And I'll tell you, the actions of the woman that lead right after this are quite amazing. And there's quite a very miraculous scene that takes place here. And it says here in verse 27, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Why did they marvel at him? Because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew and he's sitting there talking with this woman. Why? It screams to me 
Matthew 15, where Jesus is talking to the woman, and I forget, maybe it's another Samaritan woman, because I think even she submitted to her and says, even the dogs eat from the, from the crumbs of the master's right. table. You see what I'm saying? The, the disciples are still in their natural state of mind. They've got to get out of the natural and get into the spiritual to understand what's going on here. And so let's read this and see what happens. He says, They marvel that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which did tell me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Now I want to pause and let you know something. For you, for the ladies of the church here, I want you to know, I know we don't ordain women to the pastor and preacher role of a church, but you have by all means and authority in the scriptures to go tell people in this community what Jesus Christ has done for you and how he's worked in your life, how he's blessed you, and how you want to worship him and the love that you have to him. That is your duty as a woman of God and it's been demonstrated right here by a Samaritan woman, a Gentile in the New Testament church. So don't let people tell you that you can't go talk to people. And I'm, she's out there busy with her son right now. But I hope my sister Laura is listening. We had this conversation months ago. But she left her watering pot and went and told all these men and said, Come see this man Christ. So now you have this scene where Jesus is there with his disciples. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile... Kind of reminds me of like you know, was it Casey Case? I'm like, meanwhile, back in the Hall of Justice. Meanwhile, back where Jesus and his disciples are sitting, they're waiting by Jacob's well. And the disciples have brought meat to eat. And he says, Master, eat. But he saith unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And his disciples, once again, very much in a natural state of mind, are like, Hath any man brought him to eat? You know, I've got, I, he's got meat to eat of that they don't know what it would. Well, did, did somebody else go get some meat for him? Did somebody else go send for food to get him to somebody to eat? They still don't understand what Jesus is talking about. And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The very thing that nourished Jesus Christ was to come and to fulfill the will of God, the will of God that Jesus sent him here to do. And if you're ever wondering what that will is, I, turn, I, I ask you to turn to John 17 and read in verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine, are, thine they were, and thou gavest me uh, them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are, are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou hast gave, gavest me. They have received them, and they have known surely that I, have, that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them... I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He basically said that one of the very things that he had to do was to set up the church. He gave the words to his disciples. And the very next scene that happens here in, the, in finishing the work, he says, Say not ye, verse 35 of John 4, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and behold on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. In a very natural sense, he's saying, 
It's four months till harvest. The harvest is not coming in for another four months. But I'm telling you, and I get this very weird scene that Jesus is sitting at this well, his disciples are eating meat, and all these Samaritan men are running right out to him. And he's looking at them saying, the fields are wide already unto harvest. The lesson here is ministry. It's ministry and it's evangelism. He says, I've hidden my, I've given you my words, uh, disciples. He's saying, the fields are wide unto harvest already. I've already done the work. Let's read it real quick. He says, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit into life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. The sower in this context is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They've done all the work. They've borne, again, all the children of God. They do it by their own power, by their own will, by their own hand. And he says, I'm sending laborers into the harvest because I need you disciples to labor in this harvest. You're going to reap blessings, reap things where you didn't know labor. I did all that. That's one thing about the joy of the ministry and the joy of evangelism is you get to share the good news. You get to tell people about what God's done for you. I'm not here trying to born anybody again. I'm not trying to save souls to heaven. God's taking care of all that by His own power. But I get the joy every single week when I go places to tell people what Jesus has done. And that's what Jesus wanted His disciples to do. He says, you go forth. You go the Great Commission. You go forth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You go tell them what I've done for them. You go tell them that I love them before the foundation of the world. You go tell them that they've got a home and a mansion and glory for me uh, with me one of these days. And there's going to be a joy and and a, and a, the best song service we've ever had in glory one of these days. You disciples, go tell them that. And herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. I tell you, if there's one thing that I could, I could tell you today. One thing to take away from this is that, well, a couple things. The Samaritan woman to the Jews was considered a Gentile. She was considered a dog. There are people out here in this world that need our love, that need our help and need our encouragement. And we may look on them and consider them the dogs of society because they have troubles and trials and whatever else that are going on in their world. And I'll tell you, those are the very people that you ought to be reaching out to, to minister to. And it doesn't take all, and the second point I want to make, it's not all done by the pastors of this church. It's done by every single member individually, collectively, or individually and how you leave this place and how you are the light into the world and how you tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you in this world. If God has worked something special in you, ye are just like these disciples. You, you, get, to go, you get to go reap blessings where you bestowed no labor. And just by sharing the gospel and the love and the word that has been hidden in your heart. Very last uh, set of verses that I'll read to you is verse 39 through 42. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the, uh, for the saying of the woman. Oh, what a marvelous thing. 
it wasn't just the saying of the preacher. It wasn't just on the saying of the disciples. This woman actually went into the city and she testified and they believed because of the saying of the woman. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days and many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe, not just because you shared the gospel with me, Samaritan woman, not just because what you have said, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That story means so much more to me in the full context of the whole story now because it's not just about worshiping in spirit and in truth and, and the story that we as Gentiles now are no longer worshiping in that mountain or in Jerusalem, but we are worshiping in spirit and truth. And there are laborers that we want to bring into the harvest. But I've heard many of sermons where that has been implied that that's only referring to preachers. I don't believe that. I believe that's all of us as disciples of Christ that we ought to be entering into the harvest where the Lord has worked and we ought to leave here wanting to minister the name of Jesus Christ to all of those that we come in contact with and tell him what he's done for us. Just as the Samaritan woman, he said, I met a man that told me all that I ever did. Jesus Christ, what's he done for you? Maybe he's healed you in a way that nobody else has ever healed you. Maybe he's comforted you in a way that nobody else has ever comforted you. Maybe there's just a truth about Jesus that you know that you want to share with somebody else that maybe they don't know. That is the ministry. And I tell you, if we just focus, when you read your Bibles, read the full story. Get the whole lesson because the whole lesson is still so much more beautiful than just little bitty snippets. I like the whole lesson. Anyways, hope it's been good for y'all today. Lord bless you. Come ahead. Sorry. Say good morning. Good morning again, and just uh, say I, I certainly appreciate the things Brother Derek brought before us this morning, and uh, looking at that fourth chapter. You know, I think if if you've been around, I know. We've got all different ages here uh, this this morning, from young from young to old, uh, and that's the way and that's the way the church ought to be. By the way, is all these different generations here sharing with each other and uh, so forth. But uh, whether you're young or old, you know I love thinking about some things. We're we're not too old or too young to look at a portion of scripture and learn something new, right? And so uh, I appreciate uh, what Brother Derek has shared with us in, from that fourth chapter of uh, John. And uh, my, my hope for all of you as, <coughs> as well as me is that I never, get, uh, I never get too old or never get tired of learning. Uh, and that, uh, that, uh, that I can use what I learned to better worship him uh, as, uh, as, our, as our Lord and Savior. Uh, as many of you know, and... Uh, I was trying to think I'm, I'm going to maybe uh, shuffle or shuffle around a couple of thoughts this morning uh, to to get uh, to continue to talk on the same subject but maybe in a little different order than what I was thinking about uh, uh, before this morning because I, I certainly don't want to do anything that would be uh, harmful to uh, to the thought that we've already gotten this morning I'll say this some of you may be sitting there this morning saying well I don't 
I don't feel comfortable uh, going out and talking to other people, uh, you know, and so forth. Uh, well, I'll just say, God will give you the strength and the grace to do what you don't think you can do. Uh, Moses made all kinds of excuses why he couldn't go talk to Pharaoh when God told him, uh, by the way, Moses, you're going to leave this backside of the desert and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And, uh, well, I, you know, you got to go. T- well, I'm, I don't have a good, I'm not a good speaker. Don't worry. I got that covered. If you don't want to do it, I'll get Aaron to speak for you. And you tell Aaron what I tell you and uh, we'll go on. God will help you is my point, And he will make you able to do what he's called us to do. I want to turn over to the second uh, book of Second Peter uh, this morning. And we have been talking about some things that we need to take heed to. Uh, uh, as we talked last time, I think, and that's been uh, a few weeks a few weeks ago. Last week we were up at the nursing home and talked up there. Brother Adam's been going over some things in Matthew. Uh, but as we, as we talked about some things... Uh, last over the last week or two, when, the, when we talked on this subject, uh, we were still talking about some things that we need to take heed to. And one of the last ones that we mentioned was in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he tells us, uh, if a man thinks he stands, he needs to take heed lest he fall. In other words, so uh, if we get to being a little bit overconfident of where we are and that, well, and, and th- here's, the, here's what I guess the, one of the examples we used last time. If you get to the point where you're thinking, well, that temptation will never get me or that sin will never overcome me, what, what uh, Paul is teaching here to the Corinthians is if a man thinks he stands, he needs to take heed lest he falls. And so we need, to be, we need to be ever on guard and aware of the fact Satan's out there trying to cause us trouble. Uh, our flesh is trying to cause us trouble. Satan's trying to cause us trouble. And when we get to the point of where we're thinking, well, that'll never happen to me, that problem, this issue, this thing, we need to take heed. Uh, and, and I think part of that taking heed is constantly be looking to Jesus Christ, our Savior, to give us the strength we need so that we don't fall. Uh, and so that would be my admonition to us, going back and looking at one of those take heeds. Uh, he also, we've also mentioned some taking heed to, uh, to the liberty that we have so that we don't co- become a stumbling block to others. And so here in Second Peter chapter 1, he tells us that, uh, that we have a, in verse 19, he says, We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto we would do well... It, uh, whereunto ye would do well that ye take heed uh, to this, this sure word of prophecy, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So until this day comes where Jesus Christ is going to return. Uh, and the Bible tells us we don't know when that day is going to be. Only the Father knows the hour and the, the day and the moment when our Lord and Savior is going to come again. Now, we've got some beautiful pictures in Scripture of Him coming again. Uh, Brother Adam mentioned has been mentioned a few as he went some things went through some things recently in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. And we've got some beautiful pictures over in Revelation of Him coming riding on a white horse, uh, uh, coming with all the hosts of heaven coming with Him. But he says, until that day comes, you have a more sure word of prophecy. And a more sure word of prophecy than what? A more sure word of prophecy than what anybody that's ever come before us has had. 
uh, you've got a more sure word of prophecy now than the 4,000 years before the time of Jesus Christ and before the time of his apostles. We today in this last 2,000 years have a more sure word of prophecy because all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets were saying the Messiah is going to come and they gave pictures of it over there of what it was going to be like. Uh, at this time of the year, we talk about a virgin shall conceive and bear a child and that's one of the beautiful things. Uh, but we also have some pictures in that same book of Isaiah that he's going to come uh, with his garments rolled up in blood uh, uh, with a great army with him. So there in the Old Testament, we've got pictures of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ, but we have in some cases in the same verses of Scripture, I might could turn over to Isaiah about 60 or 61 and find the one I'm thinking about, uh, the very one where Jesus quoted there in Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> let's take the moment, let's pause, uh, and let's turn over there and, and uh, I will search uh, and hopefully I'll find the right place. Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 61, this is the portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus Christ is in the synagogue. The Bible says, it, as was his custom to do, he was in the synagogue on Sunday and they handed him the scroll to read. <coughs> And Jesus Christ, if you go and read in Luke chapter 4, I'm not going to go to Luke 4 this morning. I'll just say, when you have an opportunity, you go read in Luke 4. But I want you to notice, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to notice Jesus Christ, what he read in Luke 4 from the, from the scroll of Isaiah, he stopped in the middle of the sentence. Well, why would he stop in the middle of the sentence? I'm going to show you. <laughs> Here's what he says. You can go read it. You've probably heard this before. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. By the way, when, when, when Jesus read this in Luke chapter 4, he looked at the people in the synagogue and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. The very day that he was there and reading this, this scripture is talking about him. And he was telling them, Isaiah was writing about me. I'm reading what Isaiah wrote, and this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing, okay? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison of them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Stop. That's where he stopped in Luke chapter 4. But let's read what else he said. To proclaim the acceptable the year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn. He stopped in the middle of the sentence because he wasn't coming at this time to fulfill the vengeance of our Lord. The vengeance of the Lord was the second coming. Right here in one verse of scripture, we have a picture of both the first and the second coming with the, with the prophets. And the, and the readers of the Old Testament up until the time of Christ, they had no clue that this scripture was talking about both the first and the second coming. Jesus closes the scripture and says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. So this portion is fulfilled today, but the vengeance of the Lord is yet to come. Okay, you got that? So here in so here in, uh, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says... <clears throat> 
We also have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you would do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. We have a more sure word of prophecy today uh, and have had for the last 2,000 years because we know that the prophecies of the Old Testament that said the Messiah was going to come were true. He came. Uh, He actually came. He actually dwelled here on earth. He actually went to the cross. He actually came and preached the acceptable year of the Lord. He came and did all those things that Isaiah and other places. We know that a virgin had a son. The the record of it is over in the New Testament. We know all this happened. So today we can look and say, if he did, if he fulfilled that portion... He'll also fulfill the other portion. When will it happen? Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. God knows. What, we do, what we're to do in the meantime is because we have a more sure word of prophecy, we need to take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place. We're living in a dark world today. We're living in a, in a world that's full of sin. We're living in a world that's full of trials. Uh, we're in a, living in a world that tries to cause us to sink to the lowest depths possible when it comes to our, the way we live and the way we act. We, uh, people want us to deny God, uh, deny, his, deny His worship, uh, even to deny that there is a God, okay? And so uh, people want to drag us down to that lowest point of the, as possible. But he says, you have a more sure word of prophecy. And he says, uh, take heed to this word of prophecy as a light that shineth in a dark place. Isn't that the way it is for us today? Knowing what God has done for us, it's like when things seem to be, when when life seems to be closing in on you and all the and despair is striking you and you've got sickness in your family or you've got something else going on. Maybe you, maybe you know about these people that are facing awful troubles in their marriage and other things that are going on and it's like darkness just wanting to crowd you out we have a more sure word of prophecy that you would do to take heed to, and it's like a light shining in a dark place. I'm living in a dark world, and you're living in a dark world, but we've got a light that shines all the more brighter every day we live, and it's the hope that you and I have. Uh, in, the, in, in this life, there's, a lot, there's not a lot to give us hope, but I'll tell you, I have a hope that goes beyond this life because of the because of the life of my Savior, I've got a. I know that He came and He proved death is conquerable. Say so the greatest enemy we've got to face is death. Death lies in front of us. Some of us are feeling it a lot more closely these days than some of the rest of you. Okay, but it it's it's lying out there in front. But you know what? I know somebody that conquered death. I know somebody that rose up from the grave victorious over it, not only victorious over death, but victorious over sin. And because of that, I have a hope that I'm going to live with him. And that hope, by the way, is not just a wish and a wish and a prayer type hope. It's an earnest expectation based on the love that I have in my heart for him and the love that he placed in my heart. We love him because he first loved us, because he placed that love for him in my heart. I have a uh, earnest expectation that one of these days I'm going to be right where he is. So he tells us it's like a light shining in a dark place. Take heed. Uh, take heed to this. You have a more sure word of prophecy today than anybody down through the ages ever had. And I'll tell you, it is, 
and and in spite of the fact that uh, that it's not spread everywhere I'd like to see it spread, the message is much more widely. It's not just in Jerusalem. It's not just in Samaria. This word has gone forth, and they're and worshiping God all over the face of this earth, uh, in in spirit and in truth. Uh, the word has gone forth, and we're continuing to worship Him, and it just gives us more hope. God's word was true. What Jesus told her is true. Today you worship here in this mountain. Uh, they worship in Jerusalem, but the time is coming when they're not going to worship Him here in Jerusalem or yet in this mountain of your fathers, but they're going to worship Him all across this world. Isn't it true? It's like a light shining in a dark place today for you and me to know that the great God of our, our fathers loves us. I don't have time uh, to do all this. So let's go back to the first portion of the first part of this first chapter of Second Peter now, and let's uh, lead to this, and we'll lead up to the spot. I'll just stop here a little bit, uh, and you'll say, and, and uh, I hope I leave you hanging just enough to say, Boy, I want to hear the rest of that next Sunday sometime. Anyway, so you come back. So Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus. Who is, Paul, who is Peter writing to? I'm writing to those that have like precious faith as me. And he says they have this faith through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm writing to those that have the same faith that I have. And not only that, I'm, I'm praying that God will give you grace and peace multiplied through more knowledge. As you know, as you know more, your peace and your comfort and your strength and your, uh, uh, your, uh, your ability to cope you know, everybody's like, well, what we need here is we need more ability to cope with the stress and trials of life. You want me to tell you how to cope with it? Learn more about him. Learn more about what he's done for you. It's the best coping factor you've ever had uh, uh, to deal with stress, trial, death, sickness, uh, raising children, <laughs> whatever your stress is these days. Whatever it is, the best way to cope with it is multiplied grace and peace and knowledge through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According as His divine power, let's uh, go back and start the sentence. He says, uh, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord, uh, the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and to virtue. So God is the one that has called you to glory and to virtue. How did he call you? He called you by the new birth. He called you from a death in sins to a life in Christ. He spoke life into your heart uh, and, and called you uh, uh, out of that dark place that you were in. And he says he's the one that has the divine power to give us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So <clears throat> so let me, let me just kind of share this with you. Everything you need. You say, what do, what do I need to do to serve God better? Everything you need for, for a better life, for life and for godliness is given to you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How? Through the knowledge of Him. God has given us all that we need. We, we don't need to uh, beware. I'll just throw this caution out there to you today. 
because there's so much that's taught out there in the world today, even when it comes to, to our Savior. I'm glad so many people teach uh, things about Jesus Christ, uh, some of them that are false and so forth about, about Him, but I'm glad it's still taught about our Savior, okay? I'm glad there's people out there teaching about Him. But, but He's given us... So, what was my point? So, the, my point was this. When, when, you get, when you get to where you're hearing people say, hey, I've got a new revelation... God's given me a new revelation about him that never, you know, that nobody, you watch, you mark it, <laughs> you mark it down because everything you need for to know about life and godliness, God has already shared with us. We just got, we just got to dig it out and, and continue to look at it. So, so be, be wary. That's my, that's a warning to you. And he's given to us, he says, God has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, uh, by these, by what? These exceeding great and precious promises, by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You want to escape the corruption that's in this world? It's through the divine knowledge of Him that He's made you a partaker of. So that you might be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. He's given us great and, ex- great and precious promises to what to hold on to. These great and precious promises are what you hold on to when you... When you think you've got no place else and nobody understands, I'm going to tell you there's one that understands and he's given us great and precious promises that what we can do is we can hold on to them. Because my promise is not here in this world. My promise is there. That spiritual life. I tell you, to people that don't, people that don't want to don't believe in a supernatural, super out of this world, they're missing it. They're missing the great hope that we have. Everything's nat- If you want to hang on to everything's natural, everything's about the flesh, everything's about the be- less best job, the best thing. You're missing out on the greatest precious promise that we have because it's spiritual. That's the reason when we come here. Uh, I want to stir you up. I want to. I really do. I want to stir you up, get you so wound up and excited spiritually. Yes. I want you to. I want to to increase the, your desire spiritually for worshiping Him. Uh, I don't even. I don't even go down the trail trying to stir up your flesh. There's ways to stir up your flesh, okay? But I'm interested in stirring up the spirit that God has placed in you, and so that you leave here today saying, you know what? I like I like worshiping God. I like praising God. I like thinking about what He's done. I like thinking about these great and precious promises that He's given me that I might take heed to a more sure word of prophecy. It's more sure than anything else. You know, uh, okay, so <clears throat> I'll give you a quick example and I'll stop. I, I watch, I, I like James Spann. I've told you all that before. You know, James Spann semi-prophesies every night on TV. He prophesies what the weather's going to be. And he's, he's pretty good. Give him 24 hours and he's really good. You give him out about five days, he's fair. 
you give him out about a month, he's really not all that good at all. Okay, I mean, yeah, I've seen, you know, he's okay. Uh, so he's he's prophesying. I've got a more sure word of prophecy. You know what somebody's telling you? People are t- telling you all the time what the economy's going to do next year. The economy's going to be great. Uh, no, the economy's going to be terrible. We're going to have a recession. Uh, you know what? <clears throat> I got a more sure word of prophecy for you than all of the politicians, all the weathermen, all the world leaders. I'm, I'm here to tell you it's like a light shining in a dark place that you can hang on to. Whatever happens... If the government folds up, if the world collapses, if the economy goes, if we have storms, uh, snowstorms, hurricanes, whatever it might be, I got a more sure word of prophecy for you. Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's coming back to get everyone that he died for. And he's going to deliver them to, to heaven's fair world. Hang on to it, okay? May God bless you is our prayer.